Miriam Siddiqui, you are the lifestyle editor at the Globe and Mail, a daily national Canadian newspaper based in Toronto. Thank you so much for taking the time today to join me on the Fact Up podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And, and I wanted to get you on because it's, um, uh, you know, you've, you've gone through your share of travels. You are dealing with a, uh, the demands of a newspaper. Uh, you're dealing with people like me who want to pitch ideas to you all the time. Uh, and I'm sure that you have, you have plenty. And so the challenges that you have uh, and the inspiration that you get from your daily life and the pitches that you get uh, must be uh, enormous. But we'll get to that. Um, first of all, my first question, the, the banner on your Twitter page uh, contained the words, I can't even. Oh, I was like, <laughs> what is it? <laughs> what's, the, what's the problem, Miriam? <laughs> that, do you know what? I feel like that is just a perfect... It's like an all-encompassing, perfect reaction to everything on Twitter. And funny that you should mention that because just this morning when I logged onto it, I got a notification that it is my 12-year anniversary on Twitter. So I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to know that fact. Anyway. <laughs> do 12 years pass as quickly for you as I feel like they've passed for me? Yes, most definitely. I feel like a, a one-minute plank lasts 25 years, but 25 yeah. years lasts uh, you know, an afternoon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you're, you're a writer, you're an editor, you're, you're even a filmmaker. At the end of the day, you're a storyteller, an exceptional one. I mean, is there a book that you feel perfectly reflects what's been happening in the world over the past couple of years and in the foreseeable future? I know I'm putting you on the spot with it, but no, that's okay. you, feel like you feel like there's a book that kind of reflects what's going on. You know, the one thing that I've had the hardest time doing during this pandemic is reading. I have to be honest. But um, I can't think, I'm so, I'm like Jurassic Park because it was just like, no, everyone thought it would be fine. And then all hell broke loose, which is kind of what is happening. That's a totally fair assessment. <laughs> or any Dickens novel, I feel. Yeah, fair. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, as a lifestyle editor, you know, what's been the most challenging part of your job since this madness began? And, and where do you find inspiration? And where have you found inspiration over the past year? It's now that we are coming up, you know, we're like five weeks short of one year in North America of dealing with this. And uh, it's, it's hard. It's hard to continue to be innovative and original when, you know, basically 52 weeks on, we're still dealing with the same issues and we still need the same help. So certainly when, when this all started a year ago, I mean, my whole thing was with telling stories and it kind of, I think it's, <clears throat> excuse me, my differentiator, but it also... I make life a bit complicated for myself. It's like, I always want to tell the story that's not being told elsewhere. Um, so with lifestyle, that's hard because, you know, there's a million places, websites, magazines, newspapers, podcasts, whatever, that are all sharing this information. So how do you be original? So my whole thing is really like finding that, that angle of the story, that part of the story that hasn't already been told. Um, it's been especially difficult this past year because literally the whole world has been following the same story. And I've never experienced anything like this as a journalist. And even when it comes to lifestyle, like within literally like two days, we had to throw away every plan we had. And I'm a planner. So I like to like sort of like get ahead by four to four to eight weeks with assignments and stuff. And, and, you know, within 48 hours, nothing was valid anymore, particularly obviously, with regards to travel. Um, so really, it's just been sort of like going back to basics. And I love sort of like talking about the zeitgeist and trends and explaining like the how or the why, you know, like, if suddenly you're like, why do I keep saying seeing like, 
pumpkin spice everywhere. The story that I want to tell you is why, like how we got to the point where suddenly pumpkin spice is like the coolest ingredient. Um, but since the pandemic happened, we've pared it way back and it's just like, you know, like here's 25 things you can do this weekend that maybe you didn't think about doing or like right. here's some, here's like a really hot ingredient and here's a way to like in it, um, integrate it into your menu planning. Well, that said, what's, what's been most inspirational for you? Where have you found that, that light in, in the midst of throwing away those, you know, four to eight weeks worth of plans? Yeah. Do you, well, right at the beginning, I kind of, I, I'm working from home and I have been since like March 12. Um, and I'm, to be honest, I'm really happy about it because it allows for a flexible schedule. For instance, we can do this in the middle of the day. Um, but also it's allowed me time to, I mean, my dad used to joke that I was always like, I was going to be a lifelong student, but I just love learning new stuff. So at the beginning of this, I took Yale's, it was through Yale, but it's free and it's the science of well-being. And um, it's a fantastic course. It's like a five week course, an hour a week, but it really, it really like stripped everything away and it teaches you the fundamentals of what, what you need to be happy, which is really just a social circle, the ability to be grateful, um, the, like the fortune to be able to pay kindness forward, that sort of stuff. Um, and so that's, if I just, if I'm having a bad day or, you know, the weather here has been really up and down as far as like gray skies. Um, I just sort of like go back to that as my starting point and just from, you know, like pre this, I would have been like, not that I'm not ambitious, but I would have been like super ambitious about like doing something different and better and blah, 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 blah. Now I'm just want to, do something that's nice that will like help our readers at the end of the day or for myself that's just interesting yeah and you mentioned you know uh people you know finding you know stories and and close to home and and because we can't travel too too far so it's what can you do in, in your own backyard uh, and before the lockdowns really started and when the lockdowns kind of eased do you think that um you know COVID has has more or less made the, the staycation cool again where wherever people live in the world uh, and we'll speak specifically with Canada, has, has COVID uh, reignited people's passion to explore their own backyards? 100%, I think so. And that can literally be, I mean, even during the sort of like the early months of the pandemic, I went to a, my sister needed to go to a store to pick up something, but it was in a neighborhood that I rarely go to. And I was like, oh, this like it was a, like a, the most micro of getaways in a neighborhood that's a 10 minute drive from where I live, but I just never go there. Right. <laughs> so I just think our, our like, not that our ambitions have differed, but our expectations, I think, uh, have been changed. Uh, I pitched a story to you a little while ago about kind of post-COVID and travel attitudes. Um, and it was, a, it was somewhat of a, I feel like it was a long-winded kind of article <laughs> that I wrote and it was a pitch. Um, but I'll ask you personally, you know, forget, forget the publications and forget the editing for a second. But when travel gets back up and running, do you think people's, uh, you know, attitudes, generally speaking, will be one of, you know, great. Um, this is now a, a kind of renewed um, appreciation for travel. I took it for granted for so long. I'm going to do my best to now, you know, pay kindness forward, as you said, where it's respecting the environment, respecting my fellow traveler and treating travel with a new kind of respect. Or is it going to go back to the, um, I'm making up for lost time. Uh, I've suffered long enough and I'm entitled kind of travel. What do you think? And it's, I know it's a loaded question. It's really tough to gauge, but generally speaking, what are, what are your insights telling you about the, the, the trends of travel with respect to people's attitudes 
post COVID? Sure. I mean, a couple of weekends ago, I was just like, the thought just popped in my head that like, man, when this is all over, I'm going to travel so hard. And I don't even really know what that means, but like, I just, I just kind of want to like go big. Um, but I have no specific plans. Um, that said, I think, I think travel as we knew it will take a while to come back because like, even if we have vaccines, even if, like, I just think psychologically, it's going to take a long time for people to feel comfortable being super close to people again and like being in a crowded bar. As much as we crave that, I think it's still going to feel a bit weird because you also don't know, do like the hundred other people in the bar have a vaccine too? You don't know. Right. Um, and I think like we are, well, I hope we are all a little bit more aware of the impact of travel on climate. So the fact that we were able, you, were, you could be like, I'm going to go to Iceland this weekend. And you could do that. Um, mm -hmm. I think, I do think people will be a little bit more thoughtful about where they are going. Um, they might all sort of like treat themselves a little more when they're there. Do you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. like maybe stay in a better hotel. Um, but I do think that, um, I mean, there's no doubt that there's pent up demand. And so when we can go away, I think everyone is going to like be anxious to do it. But I do think, yeah, there's, I think there'll be a little bit more strategy behind it. So it's not just like, oh, I need to get away. It's like, I need to get away, but I want to do it responsibly or safely or however. And then, okay, this is, this is how I'm going to fulfill that need. Right. I just hope people don't put their feet up on my armrest behind me in the airplane I, well, or just yeah. stop littering in parks. <laughs> just there's, there's garbage yeah. cans everywhere. But what about solo travel? I mean, you've written all sorts of, um, you know, articles in the past. Um, the one that made an impact on me on your website was how you spent more than six months uh, abroad uh, visiting countless countries uh, solo. Um, you know, when did you realize that traveling solo in and of itself uh, was a skill that not everyone is prepared to do. Um, I don't. I don't know that I've ever consciously thought about it. I can tell you, like the reason that I took that trip, I was let go from a job. I got severance. I wanted to sort of give myself a sabbatical. I knew if I waited for someone to do it with me, it probably would never happen. So that's how I did it. Which is not to say that it was not easy. It was a ton of work. I got very lonely often. Um, but I, I don't regret it at all, but I do think you just, you obviously need to, you need to be an independent thinker and be organized and be able to sort of like go put yourself in the unknown. And obviously not everybody is prepared for that, which I think is why there's, you know, I did a, a couple summers ago, I was, was in like Croatia and I did one in Greece actually, but it was like a G adventure and intrepid. So it's, it's group travel, but almost everyone in the groups I was in were solo travelers who signed up just to sort of like be around other people right. and to have someone do some of that work. How did you break through that wall when you were on that trip with respect to, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could do this. What, what, what did I, what did I sign up myself to do here is traveling solo for six months. Um, what was that, what was that barrier like for you and how did you break through that barrier to keep so it going? Sure. So I always kind of joke that I have, that I'm like, I can't now, of course, it's, I'm drawing a blank, but I always, I have this like 
invincibility complex. Like I always just think nothing's going to happen to me and everything's going to be fine. So I kind of- I feel of, the same way. I feel the same yeah. way sometimes. Yeah. So often I don't, I don't think about all the possible outcomes. I just assume it's going to be fine. And uh, often, well, not often, sometimes I'm like, if I knew what I, if I knew then what I, if I knew then what I know now, right. I probably wouldn't have done it. Um, as far as this specific trip that you're talking about. So it was, yeah, six and a half months. And I, I literally went to like, uh, every continent except South America and Antarctica. Um, I had commitments. I had the, there were like certain commitments. So I, I did write about it as I was traveling. Um, and yeah, so there was like, I think because I just had certain commitments along the way, I didn't feel that I could not fulfill them. And also I kind of, I had a commitment to myself to do it and I didn't want to not do it because I knew when else would I have this opportunity? Right. Well, you mentioned just now, if, if you knew then what you know now, you wouldn't have done it. Why? Oh, for that trip, I would do it. I might've gone to certain places over others, but so ba based on that trip, I went to Croatia for the first time. And I, uh, a couple of years later, a friend and I bought a rental property in that beautiful UNESCO heritage town. Like it's really like, you know, under the Tuscan sun vibes or whatever. But we actually literally just last year sold it, but it wow. was, it was uh, a headache. I, if, if I knew everything that I was going to go through and how stressful it would be, I don't think I would have gone through with that. I've heard horror stories about buying uh, property outside of, of uh, I guess, Canada, the US, where especially Europe and, and, and stuff, there's a lot of paperwork and a lot of red tape. And sometimes there's even a um, animosity towards foreigners. Why Croatia? Why did it make such a, an emotional and psychological, even spiritual connection with you? First of all, it's, it's stunning. It's beautiful. Being on the Adriatic, it's just like, you know, I'd never seen water like that anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, but the week that I was there, it joined the EU. And this was also at the time where like um, Airbnb and like these independent booking sites were really taking off. And I just saw the potential. And then when you're coming from a place like Toronto and the cost of living here, like we were able to buy that apartment for like the price of a parking spot in downtown Toronto. So it made, the, the math made a lot of sense to me. Right. I, if it, my thing is like, I was so charmed by like UNESCO heritage and it is, it's so charming, like cobblestone streets, like medieval buildings, which is amazing. But when your medieval building has a problem with the roof, that's a real issue. <laughs> if it was a modern building, it might be a different story. Centuries old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. I can, I can understand that. Croatia's got that magic, right? Exactly. Exactly. What was, you know, looking back, the most rewarding part of that journey for you and what lessons did you take away from it? The by far, I mean, this might sound like cliche and bland, but honestly, the biggest lesson was like people are kind. Everywhere I went, strangers or people that I like met in passing went out of their way to help me. Um, I had the most, like in Turkey, I had, I did a trip uh, around the countryside in and out of Istanbul, but by an overnight bus. And there was like, I didn't speak a word of Turkish. Um, and English was not well spoken by the people that happened to be sitting beside me. But like at 2 a.m. at one point, this grandmother like nudged me awake to feed me. And, and then there was another time where I was riding back into Istanbul and I was beside like a 13 year old girl or someone whose father had like sent her back to the city and she was sleeping. So I like gave her my sweater to use as a pillow and she like squeaked the word thank you. You know what I mean? Like just these random encounters and ultimately like people... People just want to help other people. And, and, you know, that doesn't mean 
that you can't be or that you shouldn't be safe and you know like keep your guard up when needed but yeah that's my that's the overall lesson i mean the, i think that i got to do it that i got to meet the people who i met along the way i went to 20 23 countries i think um and it's just yeah like you know the world is beautiful and we are lucky to be on it so i'm just so grateful that i had the opportunity to see it so much right. of it. do you do you try to explain that to people who travel with groups or all you know all inclusives for example uh, where everything's taken care of um or or you know couples do you try to explain how awesome solo traveling can be uh, you know, because a lot of people, a lot of people feel, well, you'll be lonely, you won't have any, you know, dinner mates, or it'll be weird if you go to the bar by yourself. I, I, personally, I, I'm an only child of a, of a fiercely independent single mom. <laughs> so I'm, I'm used to being alone, but other people are not. But do you find that it's easy or hard to describe the experiences, the epic experiences that you have as a result of traveling solo? That's the one thing. It's like, I did experience so much. And it's a shame that I don't really have anyone to share it with. Like you can tell someone about it, or you can show them pictures, but you know, when you have someone who was there, like looking at that full moon with you or whatever, it's a little bit different. So that is one thing that I don't think should dissuade people, but you just, it's just something to be aware of. Um, the other thing too is like, yeah, they're like, I think being a guy and being a girl are different as far as like going out to a bar by yourself. That's just my opinion. I would feel the same in Toronto as I do in like, I don't know, like Turin, Italy, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so that that is another thing, like maybe that's just me and there's other like much more independent women out there than, than I am. Um, but yeah, the, certainly like I, I do think it's worthwhile just to learn about yourself and what you're capable of. And that's not to say it does not, certainly does not have to be six weeks. It could be one week. It could be a long weekend. You know what I mean? Yep. And it doesn't have to be around the world. It could be like the next province over. The other big lesson is like getting comfortable being by yourself and learning like what you like and what you don't like. And the, I mean, there's great things. You can stay wherever you want to stay. You can do whatever you want to do. You're beholden to nobody. Um, and the other thing too is like I did a lot of I think people are actually really welcoming to solo travelers. Like if you find your, like, let's say you're doing a day trip and you're the, you know what I mean? People mm -hmm. tend, tend to be like, what brought you here by yourself? Yep. Um, and they're, they're quite curious about it. So it can be a talking point as far as um, meeting people on the road. Yeah. And some people actually feel sorry for you. <laughs> well, that too. Yeah. What are you doing by yourself? What's the, you don't have any friends. They kind of adopt you, yeah. Right. Well, the, yeah, there was multiple hotel or taxi driver or airport or taxi um, drivers who were like, oh, you're not married? Oh, that's why you're traveling by yourself. And I was like, <laughs> no, that's not why, but okay, thanks. <laughs> um, where have you found Zen these days? Um, I go for, I make sure I go for a walk every day. Right. Doesn't matter where but just like getting fresh air. Right. Yeah, that's key. Uh, what's on your uh, road trip mixtape these days, if you were to take a road trip? Um, I mostly, I saw this um, meme and it was about like how um, gyms are the new clubs, which is now how I'm learning about new music. It's like from my fitness things. Right. So it's, it's any song that um, I would have like worked out to. Right. Yeah, which is a lot of like, I like house music and dance music. So it's a lot of that. 
Me too, sister. You know, you know where you can find some of that? Loblaws, Dollarama. Their mixtapes are epic. <laughs> I saved on my phone from TikTok. This guy's like, when you can't go to the club, but you hear a banger come on in the grocery store, and he's like dancing to himself. That's epic. I've done that on. I've done that on Insta. <laughs> Window seat or aisle? Uh, I'm very particular about this. I um, window if it's overnight so that I can lean against it and sleep. Um, aisle if it's during the day so that I can get in and out quick. Right. Yeah. If you had the world's attention for 10 seconds, what would you say? Oof. Um, that climate change is something that we need to make a priority ASAP. Cool. Yeah. Uh, one piece of advice that you'd give 20-year-old Miriam who wants to get into the travel writing arena. Yeah. Um, do you know I, how I ended up in this is like a total fluke. I never actually had any ambitions, I, but I had the opportunity and I just kept saying yes. But what I would give advice to 20-year-old myself, but also yesterday myself, is to have patience. patience. Have patience. Every, you'll get everything you want. You just need to have patience. You know, patience is, uh, man, oh, man, the older you get, the, the more you understand that patience is a virtue, man. <laughs> oh, my yeah. goodness. Yeah. Is there a place in the world that speaks to you on a culinary level? Um, this is actually the one, like, when I think about where do I want to go after this, and it was actually a place that I'd been sort of hoping to go last year. Um, it, it's Mexico City, but you, I feel like you cannot go wrong with Mexican food. Um, so, yeah, let's say Mexico. Why do you travel? Um, because I'm curious and just to learn, like to, to learn and to be inspired, which, and that can be like from people, from, from what I see, just from like a different pace, as you were just talking about in Mexico city, like sometimes like just the air smells different. I just think like getting outside of your comfort zone is invigorating. Right. Yeah. You've had a long day. What's your go-to meal? Um, I'm not huge on food. Okay. I don't know. I'd be like a salad with protein. <laughs> What's your go-to drink? Um, I love water. I know that's so boring, but I truly love water. <laughs> right. You've had a long day. You're filling up on water. I am. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. fair. There's no judgments. Uh, bigger pet peeve. People who get their seats wrong on a plane or people who try to convince you that you're in the wrong seat. Um, well, it would be the other people because I would never go in the wrong seat. <laughs> Final question. Where do you feel your soul lives? Geographically? Geographically. I would say here, at, like Toronto. I'm Toronto through and through. Like, I love Canada. I think we're so lucky to live here. But at the same time, I would never live anywhere but Toronto. Right. Yeah. Miriam Siddiqui, thank you so much for taking the time today to join me on the Fact That Podcast. I, I wish you and, and your circle all the best in health and happiness uh, and expect more pitches from me in the upcoming future. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much.